Hey Dan Talks listeners, welcome to another episode of Dan Talks. If you know me, you know that I do not like pets, but I am open to being persuaded, which brings me to this week's guest. His name is Dan Nilica. He is based in Minneapolis, and he is a pet trainer who has his own business called Pet Mentor. I'm linking the Instagram and Facebook to Pet Mentor in the description of this episode, because once you hear from Dan and about Dan's experience, which includes working at zoos with multiple species, you will want to book him to get your pet under control. Now, this does not apply to me because I do not invite animals from the outside inside, but I understand a lot of people do. And I was fascinated to hear Dan's perspective about how we can not affect behavior but affect the environment in which we can encourage certain behaviors to happen or something like that dan says it so much better than me um i know you're going to enjoy him and his delightful insights um dan has a forthcoming podcast called a queer's best friend all about queer people and their pets which i'll be looking out for And I hope you all are having a great time with whatever pets you have, or an even better time with the pets that you don't. (laughs) It's a terrible way to end, but um, I just want to give voice to the voices, which I feel like are the non-pet owners. But this is also a space for pet owners to have content to eat up. So anyway, without further ado, please enjoy Pet Mentor Dan. My name is Dan Nilica and my business is called Pet Mentor. And what I offer is pet training services. So my background is working with a a wide variety of species. I certainly work a lot with dogs and a lot with cats. But what I help folks do mainly through a virtual platform is navigate behavior and training for their pets and really just getting into a better relationship with their animals that has less stress for everyone involved. Dan, you're a Dan who loves pets. I'm a Dan who hates pets. Tell me why you love pets. <laughs> um, wow. So I, I, I really do find animals really fascinating. Um, I mean, I've loved pets since I was a child. I grew up with lots of different animals in my house. I have, I came from a family of six and my parents definitely like were welcomed in any random animal that like six children wanted uh-huh. if we if we kind of took the reins on it. So we had a lot of different random pets growing up, but um, I... Why do I love pets? Yeah, I mean, I think that they can be really great for your mental health. I think that they can give really nice structure. I think they can be really good companions. And I really like training in animal behavior. Um, And I find that when you learn more about animal training and animal behavior, you learn a lot more about human behavior. So that's kind of cool too. Which brings us to our discussion. So (laughs) what, how many different types of animals do you train? Because I've seen pictures of you with dogs, falcons, maybe a lizard. I'm maybe I'm (laughs) projecting that. It's just like, I saw multiple species and I'm like, okay, this is every animal. Well, (laughs) 
so my background really is not with dogs I mean I grew up living with dogs but I have spent the last 10 years working in zoological facilities and wildlife rehabilitation clinics and uh, working with the animals that live there and, and caretaking for them and training them. So initially my, my first experience outside of working with dogs and cats was um, well, I did an internship at a local zoo in St. Paul when I was in college. And that was just sort of a little bit of exposure. It was working with marine mammals in that department at the zoo. And so I got exposure to seeing how and what a marine mammal trainer does. And I was sort of like, whoa, that's wild. You like figured out a way to get paid to do this. That's really, really cool. And then kind of left that experience and my brain was like, well, that's cool. I don't think that's really something that's gonna, I don't think that's like my, the path I'm heading down. I don't know how I could do that. It seems kind of uh, a little outlandish. But then I started volunteering at a wildlife rehab clinic called the Raptor Center that specializes in birds of prey. Long story short, I got a full-time job there. And what I did there was work with their education birds. So the birds that went through the rehab process that couldn't be released back out into the wild. And what I did with them was take care of them and train them with a team of other staff and volunteers to be comfortable being in front of the public and doing educational programming. And then from there, I got a job working at the Minnesota Zoo. And that's really where I started working with a lot of different types of species because my job there was a trainer, but I worked in a few different departments. So I worked with their marine mammals. Uh, so I worked with seals and sea otters there. And I also worked with their education animals. And that included like porcupines and a beaver and parrots and, and raptors and anteaters and sloths and a lot of different reptiles. And the common theme throughout all of that was the behavior piece because my perspective on animal training is from applied behavior analysis, which is just the science of behavior or one way of saying that. And the principles of that are the same, regardless of the species that you're looking at. The reinforcers and the punishers might be different depending on the species and the individual animal you're looking at, but the, the principles are all the same. And then within the past year, I transitioned to working mostly with pet owners during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so reinforcers and punishers, I wanna to return to that. Before that, I want to ask the general question around these animals. I get, so, I mean, I'm scared around people anyway, perhaps, but animals is like out of the question for me. I'm just like skittily wittily, like so scared of what they're going to do and how they like twitch and move. And like, they're not supposed to interact with me and I'm not supposed to like, they're of the animal kingdom and I'm an indoor cat myself. Like supposed <laughs> to be in my house and they're supposed to be in the wild. You don't feel at all around these animals, like that sense of unpredictability. Well, I think it's wise to have a healthy level of respect when you're working with animals and humans. But um, yeah, I mean, you can't read anyone's mind. And in the same way that 
you can't read a dog's mind or a seal's mind. You really can't read a human's mind either. So all we're really going off of is behavior. Now, one big advantage that we have as humans who speak the same language as each other is we can talk to each other. And that's a real helpful behavior in trying to communicate with each other. But when you're interacting with someone who doesn't speak the same language with you or isn't even the same species as you, you really do have to rely on more subtle body language and learning about that animal's natural history and what those specific body language uh, behaviors might mean and what other behaviors that they might lead to. And it's all about one framework that I really like thinking about this sort of thing is we can't control behavior, but we can control the environment a little bit more that, that sets up behavior to happen. And so a really good trainer has a great skill set of being able to set the stage for the behavior that they want to have happen. And then they're ready right there with reinforcement, some sort of reinforcer afterwards to communicate to the animal that that was a desired behavior. So that, that behavior is more likely to happen again in the future. Um, so I guess to answer your question, I'm not who worried, um, but I bet I, I think about behavior a lot. And it's, you got to be really, really observant when you're working with animals because they have really subtle body language cues that indicate that they might be shifting kind of the behavioral route that they're going on. Are there certain species that are much more trainable and readable than others? Um, I think it really depends on the trainer, to be totally honest. I, I've really observed that there are some, there are some people who are like really, really well equipped to work with birds. Like this is a really great natural skill set in reading bird behavior. I find the same thing with dogs, same thing with cats. I try to keep myself a real generalist as, as just a, a quality trait. Um, but certain animals, I mean, wildlife in general tends to like really hold their cards close to their chest. And what I mean by that is they don't want to show signs of weakness. And so they, cause that might mean that they might not get their next meal out in the wild. So just their natural history, they tend to hide pain really well. They tend to hide fear really well. So they show really, really subtle body language cues this is coming out of left field for me but do you, do you like sort of really believe in um what is it called when people when in reincarnation that some people were certain animals in past lives and you're like oh this is a falcon person oh this is a <laughs> sea otter person no i mean um well i wait are you asking me if i believe in reincarnation i mean Yes, I feel like you have, like, hearing you speak, I'm like, oh, there, this, you're talking about personality traits of hu different humans, it feels, it seems like. Right. I don't think that has too much to do with reincarnation, if I'm being okay. Totally okay, I, well, that makes sense. I, I would say, I mean, just in terms of like energy and cycles and nature, you really don't find too many things that things just get recycled a lot. So I don't yes. know if I necessarily even reincarnation, but I, I think that energy and matter tends to recycle in nature. You find that a lot. So something of that probably would make sense. Um, and what I was kind of meaning though, was 
that certain personality traits do tend to work well with certain species and not that someone can't adjust their behavior um, when they're working with a specific species. Mm -hmm. But I would say that certain personality traits do um, work well with certain species. I want to go back to to what you were speaking earlier about creating the environment in which a certain behavior can happen. You can't control behavior, but you can create environments. Um, That seems to have a real one-to-one with potential interpersonal relationships or meeting other people. If we're meeting in a bar versus a coffee shop versus a fancy restaurant, it's, it's creating a different situation. If I'm wearing a suit versus sweats, it's a different, I'm asking for a different behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I always find that one profession that I work with of pet owners that tend to be really, really good trainers are teachers. Mm -hmm. Because classroom management is really just a lot of how do I set up this room for success for my, my students to find success? And that's a lot of what um the front end of animal training is how do I set up this environment to to trigger the behavior that I want and there's so many fun creative ways that people do that there's really no wrong way um and there's a million different right ways and it's just up to someone's level of creativity what is the biggest problem that you that people come to you with in terms of training their own pets right now yes separation anxiety uh-huh. <laughs> Anytime they're not in the same room as the pet, the pet acts out. Yeah. I mean, we're living in a pandemic. A lot of people are home significantly more than they typically would. And so their animals just never get an opportunity to practice being by themselves. And so when they're left by themselves, it feels, you know, you you don't you don't have practice with it. And that it's, you know, it's a change in routine. So that change in routine can solicit, elicit other behaviors. And typically those behaviors are usually undesired ones like barking or crying or scratching or um, other destructive behaviors that people come to me and they're usually like, my dog's stressed. My dog is angry with me. My dog is this and this and this and this. And while there might be elements of that are true, I try to stick with a behavioral lens of like, well, how do we how do we work towards setting up the stage for other behaviors to happen and then reinforce those behaviors? So you encourage people to not, so when people say my dog is angry or my dog is stressed, you focus less on that and more on, well, what, how is he expressing himself? Well, I try hard not to anthropomorphize animals because stressed and angry. I mean, those really are human emotions. Uh And certainly I would say animals just, anecdotally working with animals for a number of years they do seem to experience emotion um but that's a really it's really hard to train an emotion it's a Uh lot easier to train a behavior and so do you how about dogs having personalities what's your take on that yeah i guess it just depends how you operationalize the word personality i would say dogs have personalities i mean every dog is different but though, but behavior is malleable. That's a really cool thing about it. And it doesn't, we don't just stop learning new behavior at a certain point in our life. 
And if an organism did that, they probably wouldn't be around super long at past a certain age. <laughs> and that is fun to give people the tools to shape their animals' behaviors and then see new personality emerge as well. And you find that's possible not just in puppy stage? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you can't, I mean, I'm sorry that you, we didn't get through this without me saying teaching a new dog, old dog, new tricks. Um, but you're saying you can, you can teach an, an old dog can find new ways. You can affect an old dog's behavior. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, if an animal stopped learning at a certain age, that's just really not, that's not a great evolutionary tactic. How often do you see mirror behavior between owners and pets? <laughs> um, I mean, that's like one of my favorite things about what I do right now. I talk to a lot of people who are living at home with their pets during the pandemic. And I love hearing people talk about their pets because there's so much where you're just talking about yourself or you're just, you know, that's what we, I think that's a huge reason why people get pets is to help emotionally process the world. And I think that's a great reason, you know, to have a pet. And I don't know if I'd say mimic, um, but in the sense that the environment sets up the stage for behavior to happen, we as we are a huge piece of that environment like we are a really really huge piece of that environment and what we do as humans living in space with the animals that we do like that can absolutely uh set up different behaviors to happen mm -hmm. um do oh, i had a question and i just lost it it was about um humans being similar to their pets. Oh, in your work, do you focus in your dialogue with the owners? Because obviously, especially over Zoom, I imagine you're in dialogue with the owners. Mm -hmm. Not you can't really like give demonstrate a command for the dog over Zoom as much. Yeah, typically what it is is I um I talk through with the owners how to work with their dog or or cat um, or whatever the animal is, and then they, if we're able to, I love watching them interact with their animals and watching mm -hmm. them train and then giving in real time feedback about what I'm seeing and how to improve their technique. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I, I've never tried like me trying to give a cue or something through the screen right. to be quite honest I mean that's not it would be like a cool trick and I could imagine that certain animals absolutely could learn that but it's not I don't think the most helpful uh -huh. that's what I like about zoom training sessions actually is it really forces the owner to actually figure out what they're doing because I'm not going to do it for you I can like help right. you in that process but they need to figure it out which I think sets them up better for long-term success it's not just like a band-aid. It's like they really have to, to learn how to do it. So they right. have to be with the skills of how to do it. Because I wonder if you ever have a push and pull of like talking about the issue, which is the dog versus how you would, or in this hypothetical case would be the, the pet versus the owner, where it's harder to give an owner like you are doing these, or like you need to change this about your self I feel like or maybe you focus the attention on behaviors where do you focus the attention on in terms of behavior of the dog and the human 
um, usually on the dog um, or the cat. And if the human's behavior is a, obviously it's like also part of the conversation. Um, And it really depends on the goal of the person. I mean, for instance, like with separation anxiety, a pretty good motivator for someone to change. If we like talk through steps and what to do, and then we talk again two weeks later and they're like, oh my gosh, I just like haven't, I haven't done the things. And like, that's totally reasonable, right? Like one behavior change is hard for humans, just as it is for animals. Like we love a pattern. We love a routine. It takes a lot of intention to change that kind of stuff. And also life gets in the way. And also like, there's a lot going on right now. So like, if you forget to train your dog, like that's pretty reasonable. But I try to just stick with like, well, what do you, what do your goals are? Like when you're vaccinated and you can go out and see people again, do you want to be able to do that? Or do you want to be stuck in your house because your dog will destroy your house if you haven't worked on this during the pandemic? Usually that is a pretty good motivator for folks. They like think of themselves a few months down the line. They're like, oh my God, I I don't want to still be stuck in my house because of my dog. (laughs) So I try to let the animal's behavior guide the conversation mm-hmm. and, and let that, you know, how they're behaving. Like, okay, so we haven't seen much of a change. What do, what do we need to do to achieve the goals? Is it important to always meaningfully affirm or meaningfully um, punish behavior? Uh, what do you mean? Do you I mean, mean, like, is it important to notice every time the pet does something good so that it's reinforced and and equally important to let them know they did something bad. Um, so the framework that I like to use is something called least intrusive, minimally aversive techniques. And this is basically a framework in the apply behavior analysis world that anytime you want to modify behavior, you really have a lot of different tools to to, to choose from. Positive reinforcement is one tool. Punishment is, an, a positive punishment is another tool. And positive punishment is just a consequence that reduces a behavior because you're adding something into the environment. So like, that would be like, you, you like spank your kid because they cussed. Mm-hmm. You want to decrease cussing. And so you add pain into the environment. Mm-hmm. Punishment is quite a bit more intrusive than using positive reinforcement. But what's really cool about this framework that I like is positive pun or positive reinforcement is actually not the least intrusive. Ruling out anything medical going on is actually the least intrusive thing that you can do for an animal to modify behavior. So let's say you're potty training your dog and they just keep having accidents and you're treating them every single time that you pee out, they pee outside and you're keeping a really close eye on them as they're going through the house, you're doing all the right things. Well, take them to the vet and maybe they have a UTI and they just need some sort of medication to help them out. That's a really minimally aversive technique in modifying that animal's behavior. And so to to answer your question, is it important to, one, I would say, I really 
don't like punishment. I, it, it's got a lot of negative side effects. Mm -hmm. It can lead to generalized apathy and generalized depression and generalized fear and generalized anxiety for animals. And that just one, I also like, don't think it feels good to punish animals. Like that's not why most people get pets. And it just brings this whole other cascade of negative side effects that can cause issues for you later down the line. So one of the, a, a lesser intrusive technique before positive reinforcement is actually just environmental rearrangement and just resetting the environment to solicit the desired behavior. Um, so I like to think of all of those different tools and you're not always going to be able to reinforce every desired behavior when it happens, but I really encourage pet parents when you can do so because it just makes that behavior more likely to happen again in the future. And you're not always able to reinforce every single behavior every single time that it happens if it's a desired behavior. But when you do have the opportunity, why would you not? It just makes that behavior more likely to happen again in the future because that's just what reinforcement is. And in terms of undesirable behaviors that you don't want to see again, it's just a matter of ignoring them, trying not to give any feedback to them and thinking, how do I set this animal better up for success next time so that this undesired behavior doesn't happen again? Mm -hmm. and, and what replacement behavior do I want to reinforce? And how do I set up this, the stage for that replacement behavior to happen? And how do I make myself ready with positive reinforcement to reinforce it when it does happen to give the animal feedback about what to do instead. That's another thing that I don't like about punishment. It doesn't give the animal a ton of information about what to do instead. Mm -hmm. Do you think I would grow from having a pet? <laughs> what kind of pet do you want? I'm, well, I don't want any kind, which is why I asked the question. I mean, I don't think if you don't want a pet, I don't think that you should get a pet. I I'm not at risk of getting one. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I would say it is. It's not for everybody. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily something that everyone needs to do. I think that people do learn things when they get a pet. It's, you know, it's like a hobby. And so you get what you put into it. Mm -hmm. You can. But there are, I would say it's kind of like there's the right tool for the job. If you want to get a pet, think about why you want to get a pet. Think mm -hmm. about what you want out of that experience. And then depending mm -hmm. on what you want out of that experience, there's going to be a lot of different types of mm -hmm. pets that you might want to get mm -hmm. that kind of fits what you're looking for. What's a good reason to get a pet, a bad reason to get a pet? I would say a good reason to get a pet is... Um, I think a good reason to get a pet is you are finding yourself with extra time and energy and resources in your life. And you are interested in, in caring for another being and welcoming another being into your family and home space. Mm -hmm. I think a bad reason to get a pet. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's probably not wise to get a pet for like the vanity reasons of it. Like if you're like, I really want a gorgeous macaw because they're so beautiful. That's a pretty bad reason to get a macaw because macaws are pretty high intensity. They're just a, 
that they, they take a lot of time and energy and resources to take care of. Um, they are gorgeous, but that if you're not willing to do that, I, I may, maybe I should just say a bad reason. It's unwise to get a pet without doing a little bit of research beforehand. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there are principles of pet training that one could use for self-improvement? Yeah, well, I'm not a therapist, so there's my like, <laughs> there's my disclaimer. <laughs> um, do not claim to be an expert on self improvement, but, um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine why not. Applied behavior analysis is is used by mental health professionals for humans, so I don't think I could act. I don't think I could um speak to that in uh, as intelligent of a way as I would want to, to answer your question. So I'll, I'll defer, but I would, I would be surprised if there weren't. Um, this is my last question for you is what is your take on pet names, like humanistic names versus like, like a dog named Buddy versus a dog named Veronica? Like, do you have a hot take or you, you're all, all names are equal in your eyes? Um, you know, I was raised to name animals, human names. So oh. I do have like a very soft spot. Um, for Henry, the dog, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, my dog's name is Chris. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and, and I have a lizard named Mary Kate and Ashley. I got it. <laughs> so I love one human- lizard, Mary Kate and yeah, Ashley. Okay. I, I love human names. And, and, and people should absolutely name their pet, whatever they want. Cause you are the one who is going to be saying it. So, you know, you should, in, in a Marie Kondo sense, you should pick a name that sparks joy for you every time that you say it. Cause an animal can learn its name regardless of what the name is. Some names I will say are a little bit easier for animals to learn, specifically dogs. Um, long names are a little hard for a dog to learn, but yeah. But you could have a puppy Bartholomew if you wanted. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I would probably call it Bart. Uh-huh. <laughs> so my dog's full name is Christopher Robin. Okay. <laughs> Spelled with a Y, mind Got you, it. at the end. Got it. Um, but he goes by Chris. But I call him, that's like his recall. Like when I'm calling him, like I, I say Chris. Because mm-hmm. I don't think he, I, I just never tried to teach him Christopher Robin. And it sounds like a pain. Well, Dan, you and your work uh, sparked joy for me. And thank you for indulging me in my um, even less than entry level pet knowledge. I don't, I don't buy this though. I don't buy that you don't like animals. My lifestyle is not you're wearing You're wearing a lion brooch. You're wearing, you're like having a full on Lannister moment. This is what I like. I can tame this. The iconography of it. Yes, and absolutely. It's, it's predictable. Absolutely. It's here. I control, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. No, and I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. I think once I'm a married homeowner who has time and money that I don't know what to do with, perhaps then the love of animals could enter. My yeah, life. maybe try a fish. 